the pursuit of happiness. Hi, I'm Mike, and this is my podcast about my personal pursuit to happiness. So I want to welcome you guys back this week. Uh, this week, I want to do something a little bit different, I think. Uh, I want to try to break the show up into maybe two different segments. Uh, we're going to talk about maybe the first segment, not maybe. <laughs> the first segment is going to be kind of a recap of, of, of something that I did uh, this past week. Some of you may know what's coming if you've been following me on the Instagrams and whatnot. Uh, but I had an incredible experience on Sunday. And I want to talk a little bit, about, little bit about it, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the things I've been thinking about when it comes to that. And then uh, the second half, I want to talk about a completely different topic and something that um, I'm going to be basically focusing on going forward in the next week especially, and uh, and then from there. So maybe this will be a regular format where I kind of recoup uh, or, or recap, not recoup, <laughs> recap something uh, from the previous week and then kind of set expectations or, or, or topics I've been thinking of of the coming weeks. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I don't see if I like it or not. Uh, before we dive in, though, uh, I, I do appreciate you guys listening to me. If uh, if you do enjoy this, uh, obviously remember, anything I say is for entertainment purposes. I am not a medical person. I am not recommending anything. I am not giving you any medical advice whatsoever. Also, uh, please do not take any offense to anything that I say. I'm not putting you down for if you think something different than I do. Uh, that's perfectly fine. Uh, if you have something that is working with your pursuit of happiness, and I say, well, I'm not going to do that, that, that doesn't mean you should not do that, okay? It's all about pursuing our own personal happiness. And uh, I'm just a dude here uh, uh, that found an outlet for myself to basically talk to myself and, and talk ideas out loud, which has helped me kind of recognize things about myself. Because when I talk to myself in my own head, and uh, when I actually say things out of my mouth, it becomes two different worlds. So hopefully you guys enjoy this. If I am entertaining to you, please feel free to share, uh, you know, with friends and, and other people and have them listen as well. You can always uh, reach out and have a conversation with me. Uh, also, if you do want to reach out to me, you can uh, reach out to me at mikeshappiness at gmail.com. That's mikeshappiness at gmail.com. Or feel free to call and leave a voicemail at 678 678- Five zero six zero three nine nine. Again, that's six seven eight five zero six zero three nine nine. But feel free to reach out. Let me know how I'm doing. If you hate me, feel free to sell. Tell me that's okay too. Uh, if you love what I'm doing, please let me know. If you just want to talk about anything, if you like me to bring anything up uh, on the show or anything along those lines, please feel free to, uh, to send an email in or a voicemail. Uh, I would enjoy that. Enjoy hearing from you guys and what you're thinking so far. So uh, before we dive into the the recap of the wonderful adventure that I went on Sunday and uh, and kind of the week that it's it's uh, brought because of that wonderful adventure, I do want to say I've been thinking about a topic. I've been thinking about some about depression in general and, and why is depression so shameful. I, I I feel like maybe today. It's a little bit better, you know. There's a lot more conversation about mental health, uh, but it seems like the one thing that that a lot of us are very, very shameful of. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to tell each other about it. We don't want to admit that we have it. Uh, anything along those lines. It's not like you know, you break your arm. Yes, for help's sake, I broke my arm. You know, you get sick. You're like, hey, I'm sick. Uh, something along those lines. But when it came, when it comes to depression, 
it is like a shameful thing that that we apply to ourselves when it comes to it. I'm not sure, and it's it's obviously the depression itself. I, I feel at least not obviously, but I feel it's the depression itself. Uh, knowing that if we talk about it, if we open up about it, there's a possibility of it of it possibly going away, right? So I think it it self destructs it's it, us. It, it it wants us to be shameful of it, so we don't open up and talk about it. And it's definitely something that we need to do because part of of uh, living with and conquering this mental illness is is opening up and talking about it. I I have had leaps and bounds. Over the past couple of weeks, just doing this, talking about it to myself. There's nobody here in the room with me. I'm literally talking to uh, myself about this. There's people that, that go to therapy, you know, and, and they talk about it in therapy and it works for them. And that's awesome. I'm not there yet. I might be one day. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but there's definitely a conversational piece about helping us live with or cure our own depression. And I think one of the main things that depression does is try to make us shameful about it, not talk about it, not open up about it. And I just want to let you know, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to open up about it. It's okay to uh, to vocalize what you're feeling. And uh, it, it is a path to, uh, to uh, start you on uh, your own pursuit of happiness. So please, uh, don't be shameful of depression if you are suffering from it like a lot of us are talk about it open up uh and talk about it okay uh and also understand that this is you know it's a battle this is a a lifelong battle it seems right now is is that how i'm looking at it you're you're fighting you know for your life while you're in your depression and i'm going to tell you tuesday right now tuesday morning was a hard morning i had to fight evil mike back in the morning you know uh my depression tells me to not do things my depression tells me to procrastinate. That is one of the biggest things. My depression tells me, oh, you did it yesterday. You don't have to do it today. And if I don't do it today, guess what? It's going to say, you don't need to do it again tomorrow. You don't have to do it the day after that. Next thing you know, it's been a couple months and I haven't done anything. So I've learned that I need to do the opposite of what my depression tells me. So Tuesday morning, I woke up. I was having a hard morning. Didn't want to get out of bed. I slept okay. Uh, it wasn't a sleep issue. I just, just was not feeling it. Uh, got up. My depression says, hit snooze. It'll be okay. Hit snooze again. It'll be fine. I did snooze once, 10 minutes, uh, and it wasn't a true snooze. I didn't just go back to sleep. I laid there. I stretched out. I kind of tried to get my body a little bit looser and everything, give myself a 10-minute opportunity in bed to kind of just lay there in bliss without falling back asleep before I got out of bed. But the alarm went off a second time, and that evil mic, that evil mind that's inside of my own head was like, hits news again. You can do 10 more minutes. It's okay. And I didn't. I got out of bed. I, I did the opposite of what that some bitch in my head told me to do. And I got up and I put my socks on and I put my shoes on and I did my walk in the morning. And I tell you what, it was the best decision that I could have done because the rest of Tuesday went much, much better. It, it, it really broke that cycle that would have uh, persisted. Uh, into Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, who knows how long. So it broke that cycle. So, uh, you know, it is one of these things where if your depression's like mine, where it is telling you 
you don't need to do this. It's okay. You can reward yourself by not doing it. It's it's a lie. It's a trick. It's it's a it's a shitty salesman trying to sell you on procrastination and not doing something. You need to do the opposite. If your body tells you, if your brain tells you, don't go for the walk, you go for the walk. If your brain tells you, don't get up and, and cook food, instead just order it, get up and cook food. You know, If you need to do the opposite of what that evil little sumbitch in your head's telling you to do because you're fighting for your life here, right? You're clawing your way out of a hole that you can possibly be in. And the the longer you listen to that little son bitch in your head, that deeper that hole gets, that longer that climb out of it is. So, you know, identify and do the opposite of what it tells you to do. And like I said, Tuesday, it worked wonders for me. It was a rough, rough morning. Monday was pretty damn good. I had a good day Monday. Uh, but then Tuesday, like I said, I just woke up, just woke up with that little son bitch in my head. Like, hey, you could sleep more. It's okay. I'm like, no, no, I should get up and I should do this because it is helpful and I did, and I got out and I did my walk. I did not, uh, actually on Tuesday, I did do a little jogging and running as well, uh, just to kind of uh, uh, beat that enemy mind down even a little bit more. Uh, so so there's that. Uh, I did invest in some actual quality shoes today because my knee hurts and my feet have been hurting because I've been using some old, old-ass New Balance trail uh, hiking sneakers that are just not good. They have horrible inserts in them. So I did go out today and had a great experience. If you're in Georgia, a Big Peach Running Company, what an incredible experience. Uh, incredible company. Went in there. Uh, it was small groups only. They, didn't, they only allowed five people in the store where I was in Kennesaw. Uh, worked with a guy named Billy, young guy, who's a runner. And I was like, he's like, what, what can I help you with? I'm like, I'm looking for shoes. And he's like, oh, yeah, what kind of running do you do? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I just started, man. Uh, and he's like, cool, no problem. He's like, you know, let's go look at the shoes and everything. And I said, well, I said, I've read about these two. And he showed me those two. And he said, you know what? He's like, we have a fitting process if you'd like to do that instead of just kind of just grabbing these and trying them on. I was like, sure. And it was a great experience. He had me run. He's like, you know, the two that you came in talking about, you have a pronating thing that you do in your your foot right now because you're just starting out and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I would recommend this version of it because it has support for that. And it was great. It was an incredible experience. I have beautiful shoes now that I'm going to use for walking and running and hopefully get rid of this damn knee pain because I tell you what, when I put these shoes on and did a little run around the store because he had me run around the store, which was very, very interesting, uh, but I, it made sense, right? Do a little joggy jog around the store. And uh, it, it was amazing how uh, I tried on, I think, six different shoes, four different shoes, six different ones, and how uh, the the one that I did pick, and there was one other one, that all of a sudden my knee pain when I was jogging around the store was was gone. So it's pretty damn amazing the proper equipment for uh, for what you're doing. So uh, so it's a commitment, right? I've invested now uh, in in some uh, some equipment to continue my walks. Now, granted, I am a gear whore. Uh, anybody that knows me, I love buying shit. Uh, and so. This is something that I have been putting off. I, I thought about this right away when I decided I'm going to go out start walking. I said to myself, I need to go buy proper shoes. <clears throat> and then I said to myself, no, you don't. You have sneakers already. Just use those. And then I, I have been using those. And I've been going every morning. I have not really missed a morning. I've been out there and, and did my walk every single morning and um, for the past couple of weeks now. And... Uh, I'm realizing that those shoes were not adequate, so I needed to, uh, because I was having some knee pains and, and uh, like I said, some blisters on my, my poor little pinky toe has a blister on it, 
so uh, so this was a good investment, I think, for me. And it wasn't just a, a gear whore investment <laughs> where it was like, I should buy everything. Hell, uh, and like I said on one of the past podcasts, I'm learning to play guitar. Uh, I own one, two, three, four, six, seven, eight, nine, nine guitars. <laughs> Two amplifiers, I just traded an amplifier for another guitar, <laughs> and I'm learning. <laughs> so, yeah, I like buying things. I'm kind of an investment, <laughs> uh, which rolls right into what I did on Sunday. On Sunday, I took an incredible class on mushroom foraging, and I'm so excited about it. It was wonderful. This weekend, I plan on going out uh, with my kids, uh, with uh, with another family as well. We're going to go out, wander around the woods, and look for mushrooms together. It was brilliant. Uh, it was a decent drive out to where we were. We met in a classroom, had a little classroom thing, tried to scribble some notes down like I was back in school. Uh, and then we wandered around the woods, and we pointed real stuff out. And it was amazing. It had a great time. And the social aspect, it was a small group, and I felt very safe in the classroom. We were very, very widespread. Uh, and then out in the woods, open air, I think, is, is a wonderful thing. Now, the amazing thing was, again, the social aspect of it. Today, in today's world, we are so divided, right, because of political stuff and everything else. And we love to be right and show that the other ones are wrong and everything else. And I'm going to tell you right now, the people that were in this group, I guarantee that at least three of them sure as hell did not follow the same political philosophy as myself. <laughs> and you know what? We didn't care. We got along. We were focused on mushrooms. We were focused on being outside and socializing together. Nobody brought up politics whatsoever. Uh, at all. And we interacted like human beings, like part of a tribe, right? We had a leader, we had an elder basically that knew what the hell he was doing. So we didn't all get poisoned and uh, out there looking at mushrooms and touching mushrooms and even uh, uh, doing a little, little bitter taste test. And, and uh, there is a mushroom called Milky's. Right, and uh, I'm not telling you guys to go out there, there and do any of this or, or whatever, unless you you could take a class and and be with an expert with these milkies. When you rub your fingernail on them and, and bruise them or cut them, they kind of they they spit out this white milk, and uh, some of them are very very delicious, but there's a large portion of them that are the white milky stuff is hot. Like you put it on your tongue, and it's not like a spicy hot, like it's a like chemical burny feeling, like uh, you put a drop of boiling water on your tongue type of thing. So they're called uh, hot milkies. So uh, I decided that that's going to be my new nickname. <laughs> Don't feel free to call me hot milky <laughs> from now on. I'm going to get a mushroom shirt, mushrooming shirt uh, made with a name tag that hot milky on <laughs> so, But we had a brilliant time. It was wonderful. We learned so much. And like I said, you know, we, we th this communal spirit of, that humans have, we would not survive. Our species would not have survived if we had this greed, selfish mentality that we seem to have in today's world. We are a communal uh, species. We are a tribal species, right? That's that's how we became what we are and how we are. Again, we would have died out if uh, if we did not have uh, communal uh, tendencies and everything else. And this was exactly that. This was a communal 
tribal experience, right? Again, we had the elder, the leader, knew what the hell he was doing, gave us information. We were a bunch of bright-eyed, young-eyed pups, right, out there running around saying, oh, look at this, look at this, oh, I see this, oh, I see this, what is that? Oh, I'm so curious. And it was amazing. It was an amazing uh, uh, experience. It was well worth the money, in my opinion, which was not very much. And I learned he does some other classes, too, the same the same guy. And I call him an elder, but he was not like an old man or something like that. There, there's participants that were older than him. I mean, the elder is a term of respect, in my opinion, as far as uh, his knowledge base goes of mushrooms, because he was just spouting out names and everything. And I'm like, damn, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn, and I'm so excited to learn it. It's amazing, absolutely amazing, okay? So I have been on high alert for mushrooms. I did my walk on Monday, <laughs> the day after, and I'm looking in the woods as I'm walking around in the park. I'm looking around. And I jumped off a trail, I don't know, three, four times to go look at a mushroom. Took a picture of it. <laughs> Picked it. Looked at it. I was like, oh, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. This one's deadly. This one may not be deadly. Who knows? I did not find any milky things. I did not put anything in my mouth or whatever. I just looked, observed, took notice of the uh, the the top cap took notice of the stem uh, the 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 gills or do they have uh, pores underneath I took note of all that I took pictures and everything else and kind of got excited about that it was amazing and I tell you right now what's going on is I have the reticular activator going right reticular activator uh, if you don't know what that means or what a reticular activator is, it's basically it's part of our primal brain, right? It's a piece of our brain. It's a piece of the way that we were built to function that creates hyper, uh, I don't want to say sensitivity, but hyper awareness of certain things, right? All right, great example. You go, you're looking at cars. I've never seen a blue uh, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, whatever, a blue Subaru out on the road, WRX. I never see those things. I go, I look at one, I buy one, I drive it home. Every fifth car is a blue Subaru, right? That is a reticular activator. That happens all the time. Again, so now that, that it's not, it's not, it's not that you've never noticed them before. It's just, you've never paid attention to them before. Cause your brain just, it was just a car, just a car, just a car. Well, now that I own something like that, or now that I've been looking at something like that, now that I've been researching something like that, it heightens that awareness of it. Your brain knows, Hey, this is something you should pay attention to because, because it's a important thing that's going on right now. So it's called the reticular activator, right? And I love the reticular activator and it goes across the board. You know, so my real job, my professional job, my real job, my professional job, besides microphone rambler uh, to myself, is I'm a microphone rambler to other people, uh, and I'm a trainer, and, and specialize in sales training, and one of the things that we always talk about is the reticular activator when it comes to sales training as well, and you're asking for referrals, you know, it's the same type of thing, so if you ask for a referral, and say, hey, if you have any friends or family members that could use my services, and you do that at the end of a transaction, okay? Most likely, those people, when they go out and talk to their friends and families and other people around them, they're going to find or identify more people that have just done that transaction as well. If you ask for a referral towards the beginning of a transaction, 
hey, if you, uh, especially if it's a long-term transaction, not something that, that happens like instantaneous, like a retail, you walk in, you buy something, you walk out, right? If it's a longer-term type of transaction, if you ask somebody for a referral at the beginning of that transaction, they are more likely, because of reticular activator, to come across, notice, and talk to more people that are at the same point of the process. Therefore, you get more referrals because they're in the early stages of the process instead of being at the end of the process where they just purchase something. It's a wonderful thing. The reticular Understanding the reticular activator is one of the most wonderful things that you can do for everything, okay? And I identified right now my mushroom reticular activator is heightened. On top of that, though, I've also realized that reticular activator is incredible for mood, okay? Finding happiness, right? If you are heightened about finding happiness, if you're heightened about looking at people and smiling at them as you walk past, what you're going to find is more and more people smiling back. You're going to find people with optimistic attitudes, optimistic uh, ways of life. You're going to find more happiness because you're searching for happiness. Sadness equals sadness, right? So if you are putting out sadness out there, if your reticular activator is focused on sadness, focused on pessimism, focused on fear, you're going to find more of that. So it breeds within itself, and that reticular activator just brings it to you. So it really comes down to you looking at yourself and looking into yourself and, and putting out that happiness, that positive vibe, putting out that optimistic view, that optimistic feel to get that in return as well, right? It's a reciprocity type of situation there. You're putting out the happiness, you're getting that happiness back. You're putting out that sadness, you're going to find you're going to get more sadness back, right? So it's an incredible revelation that I've had with reticular activator, not just, you know, I've always looked at it, like I said, as part of my job as a sales focus type thing, because it's been a huge, huge implementation in part of my sales training. And, uh, you know, I, I recognize it in and of myself. Again, I own a blue Subaru, and as soon as I was driving it home, I was like, shit, there's a lot of us out here. And it's cool because, you know, it's a WRX. So uh, WRX and STI guys, we kind of wave at each other. It's just a thing. Okay, same thing. I started riding a motorcycle. I started riding a motorcycle. And it's one of the most important things you could ever do is ride a motorcycle because now you see all other motorcycles. Uh, you know, it's one of the biggest issues out there on the road. People in cars and everything else don't recognize motorcycles. They don't see them. They don't recognize them whatsoever. Uh, and that's how accidents can happen uh, primarily where cars hitting into motorcycles and stuff like that. Well, if you ride a motorcycle, all of a sudden that reticular activator is on high alert and you notice every motorcycle uh, while you're out on yours and then when you're not out on yours. So it's an incredible, uh, primitive, primitive piece of our brain that we can leverage to help us pursue our happiness. If we put out there and we are thinking about and we get our reticular activators going for happiness, for optimism, you will search out more of that and more of that will search you out as well. You'll notice more of that instead of noticing the fear, instead of noticing the divide, instead of noticing the sadness uh, that, that, that sometimes feels like surrounds all of us, we can break that cycle. So it's absolutely incredible. Now, on top of that, the wonderful thing about mushrooms, okay, that I absolutely adore 
is that they are this incredibly secretive organism. Okay, what we think of as mushrooms, what we think of as those things that pop up in the ground and mushrooms, and sometimes they're delicious, and sometimes they're poisonous, and sometimes they're hot milkies. All right, what we think of as a mushroom, that is the fruit of the mushroom. That's like the apple on the end of a, a, a tree limb, okay? The actual organism, the actual mushroom, the body of that mushroom lives underground or lives within a tree if it's a parasitic or if it's a, a symbiotic relationship with a, a wood-type fungus or something like that. And it creates this whole, it has all these mycelia, right? And these stretch out. And there might be one organism that is attached to multiple trees. And there's some, some crazy science that says that even trees can use the mushroom mycelia to communicate with each other and everything. It's absolutely amazing. The largest organism in the world is a mycelium network. I think it's in Oregon, I think it is, somewhere like that. Pacific Northwest loves the mushrooms, right? So it is this incredible secretive network and organism underground that we don't see. It's like I said, it's like take it and think about taking an entire, entire apple tree. Now, we know there's a root system under there. Well, let's take the trunk and all the limbs and everything else and plant that deep into the ground as well, and then just have the apples pop up out of the ground, because that's what we see. That is how mushrooms work. That's how that organism functions, right? And I'm thinking about this mycelial network, right? All these little hairy little things connecting to each other, and and how some of them can be stronger than other ones. And we saw actually a decaying tree that had uh, some mushrooms that were scavenger mushrooms that were just eating the dead tree, basically. And uh, they, they pulled up, uh, he pulled out mycelium in this, this dead wood, uh, like pe peeled the bark back and you can see the mycelium, the bootstrap mycelia, he, he was what he called it. And it was strong. Some of it was real fine and hair-like, but other there was like some other pieces that were like cordage strong and everything. And had a hard time, he had a hard time breaking one of them and stuff like that. It's amazing that they, we are surrounded by this organism under our feet that we have no idea the, the size of this. Like I said, the largest organism recorded in the world right now is a mushroom mycelium network. It's amazing. And it's connected, and they have almost a weird consciousness, uh, which is something that is just so perplexing to think about when it comes to mushrooms, that this, this organism has a consciousness, and uh, you know it, it can reorientate itself. So if it fruits out, like there's a great example of like a log, right? So it fruited out of the side of the log. And those fruits that pop up, the whole point of a mushroom that you see is to release spores and create more mushrooms, right? So it's it's the basically the like I said, like the fruit, right? So the point of a fruit is to uh, either get you know drop and rot so the seeds come loose, or have something pick it and and take it away and then spread its seeds and everything else. Uh, flowers they have scent, so they attract pollinators, so they can pollinate and they can reproduce and everything else. That that's the whole point of uh, of uh, of the plant world or the you know <laughs> the fungi world is 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 uh, is uh, uh, manipulating and growth and everything else. So these pop up and they release spores and everything. So there was an example where the log that was, so this was a scavenger type of, uh, of mushroom. So it, it, it ate dead things like a dead log. 
and they fruited on one side, right? So the pores on the bottom of the uh, mushroom were facing down because it wants to shoot those pores down. It wants the spores go to the ground so it can kind of go from there. Well, the roll, the, the log rolled. And all of a sudden, the mushroom realized that the log rolled and uh, we're not facing down anymore. And it refruited again in the way that gravity would, would have the spores going down. So there is a weird consciousness. And I think a lot of plants have that. You know, if you watch a time lapse of plants, they follow the sun, they bend and follow the sun. Sunflowers watching the big, beautiful faces of sunflower follow the sun is amazing. And I don't know if you want to call that a consciousness. And there's a lot of work in the mushroom world that talks about it. It's a very like philosophical world of understanding consciousness with mushrooms. It, you know, if you look back, it, there, there's definitely theories on how organisms are, we're, we're like 33% mushroom, basically. So we split, organisms have split from the mushroom, from the fungi kingdom and everything else. So you know, we grew we grew one way, they grew a different way. But I have this this theory with this mycelial network, right? And I want to pretend and talk about, I don't know, I was walking the other day and I was smiling to people and that's what I do. It's what I do. When I'm happy in the morning, I'm out there. There's an incredible group of people that I'm seeing on a daily basis out there walking to. Some of them are just as unhappy as me sometimes, especially uphill. We can see each other's faces and stuff like that. But I try to smile at everybody and I, I say hi or I say good morning as I walk past or I nod and, and I get a lot of it back. I get a lot of smiles back and everything else. And I want to pretend, right? I want to talk about there is this spiritual mycelial network that humans have. You just can't see it because it is, is, it's a just we're all interconnected through these spiritual threads and these spiritual kind of things right and that's uh that that allows us to communicate in nonverbal ways and it can take a smile from a passing stranger and uplift your spirit and try to spread that through that spiritual mycelial network that connects all of us somehow in some way now, I'm not a religious person whatsoever, and this was one of these things where it just kind of hit me, and I was like, this is silly. You know, I'm, again, I have mushrooms on the brain. I don't have mushrooms on the brain because uh, I haven't found mushrooms, and I'm still considering microdosing. That's a whole different topic. Um, so, But I don't have mushrooms on the brain, and yet <laughs> I have my reticular activator thinking about mushrooms and recognizing mushrooms around me and talking about the structure, and all of a sudden I had this... D delusion, epiphany, uh, uh, vision, I don't know what you want to call it, of this weird spiritual mycelial network that we all have, how we're all connected. And through simple nonverbal communications like a smile, like a head nod, like a wave, can truly, truly help our brothers and sisters and and uh, our our, our our uh spiritual ancestors and everything else as far as our days go and smiling at somebody is such an important thing or waving or acknowledging their existence is important and i think today especially it is more important than ever more important than ever that we are using this spiritual mycelial network to connect with each other in positive ways, turn our reticular activators into the happiness mood and mode, and we can just drive and bring happiness to everything instead of the 
fear and divisiveness and and just hate that is consuming our mycelial network, our, our spiritual mycelial network that we're getting from TV and everything else. Go outside, go for a walk, smile at people that pass you, wave at people that pass you, and I guarantee they'll smile and they'll wave back. And if they don't, don't take it personal. Maybe they haven't experienced that yet. Maybe their spiritual mycelial network is so dark because they've been so poisoned right now with the hate and with the fear and everything else. But if you do that enough times and you see that person out on a walk enough times they will acknowledge you back and they will smile back at you and hopefully we can restructure the spiritual mycelial network that connects all of us to bring happiness to everybody i appreciate you guys listening to my crazy rants on mushrooms if you have an opportunity look into mushrooms they're some amazing organisms all right That brings me to topic number two for the day. Um, The second topic I want to talk about with you guys is mindfulness. All right. Kind of uh, uh, an interesting uh, topic to piggyback off of that little spiritual mycelial network rant that I just went on, which, uh, which I really did enjoy. And I thank you for listening to that. And hopefully you enjoyed that as well. It was... (laughs) I had some notes. <laughs> My notes were very simple, <laughs> and it turned into something I really, really enjoyed, and I can't wait to listen to it back. Uh, but mindfulness. Now, last week, I talked about how the act of me walking in the morning, I'm feeling like it is a meditative situation, and how I looked it up. And yes, active meditation is a thing. But it it does not really replace an actual mindful practice and uh, steady meditation. So, first of all, let's talk about what the hell mindfulness is. So the definition of mindfulness is the quality or state of being conscious or aware of something. Okay, I <laughs> like that. It's pretty damn vague. The quality or state of being conscious or aware of something. Also uh, goes on to say a mental state achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment. Okay, so mindfulness is living in the now. All right, mindfulness is making a decision to think before you say something. Mindfulness is the opportunity for you to listen before you speak. All right, mindfulness is the present and being in the present and being aware of the present. And like I said, active meditation, walking, running, exercising, people that are training for something, they go into these these activities and they they definitely go into almost a meditative state, but it's not necessarily a mindfulness meditation. It is a a physical meditation for the body. It is a an, like I said, an act of meditation, and it can definitely excel your training and everything else uh, and give you a euphoric feeling, and that's, you know, the, the endorphins or the dopamines or whatever your body is releasing from that. People talk about runner's high. I've never had a runner's high. I've had a runner's sore knee uh, recently, but not a runner's high. I don't know if I've ever ran long enough to get a high except for maybe the hyperventilation that I uh, that I received when I first start running. <laughs> 
before I build my cardiovascular system up. Uh, but that's what, you know, there's a meditative state that you can achieve from that and everything else. Now, a practice, okay, a practice of, of mindfulness typically is a byproduct uh, of meditation. Now, do you have to meditate to be mindful? And the answer is no, absolutely not. You do not have to. Um, meditation, though, is a practice where the results are typically mindfulness, okay? And this is something that I have struggled with. I suck at meditation. And this past week, I really, and the, the reason why I brought this up and the reason why I wanted to start talking about this was because I, I thought I found this 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 active meditation thing, right? This walking thing, this meditative walking type of thing. I was like, this is great. This is this is how I can meditate. This is awesome. And I started looking into it deeper and deeper this week and um, and realized that, yeah, active meditation is a thing, but it's not the same. It's not the same as, as an actual mindfulness practice or, or, or steady meditation, that sort of thing. And there's a different benefit to each one. And I would like to uh, to venture down the avenue of possibly doing a meditative practice to help build my mindfulness or get the reward of better mindfulness outside or, or, or from that meditative practice. Now, like I said, I suck at meditating. And I tried to figure out why I suck at meditating. And I realized, <laughs> I said to myself, hey, self, in the past, how have you meditated? And I said, well, what I do is I pretend I know what I'm doing. I sit down, crisscross applesauce on the floor, or I'll try to twist my legs into a lotus position. I put my wrists out on my outstretched knees that are there because I'm crisscross applesauce, and I touch my thumb and my finger together because that's what I've seen in pictures. And I do my best cosplay of a monk. Why? Why am I doing that? Why is this the position I chose? I don't know, because that's what I've seen. I've seen pictures, and that is what I think meditation is. And that's not right. <laughs> meditation can be that, absolutely. There could be a purpose to that, absolutely. But it doesn't have to be that way, because you know what it does? It creates more problems than it's worth. Uh, to start off with, because now I'm <laughs> I'm sitting there all twisted up in this position. My bottom foot might be going to sleep at that point in time. I have my wrist again on my knees. I have my fingers touching for some damn reason. I have no idea. And I'm sitting there and I close my eyes. I say, focus on your breath. You can you need to clear your mind. You cannot have any other thoughts. And then I have a thought and I'm like, shit, I have a thought. Get out of here. I need to have a clear mind. And then another thought comes in, and I'm like, shit, get out of my head. I need a clear mind. And then I start beating myself. Why are you so stupid that you cannot clear your mind? What is wrong with you <laughs> that you cannot clear your mind? And all of a sudden, all these other thoughts come flooding in. And for 20 minutes, if I survive that long without just saying fuck it and getting up and opening my eyes and getting the hell out of there and untwisting my legs and making my legs, knees hurt and everything else, I say to myself, I can't do this shit because I don't understand it. I'm too, too, uh, too active. My brain is too active and I suck. I can't. I can't clear my mind. I'm just not good at this. First of all, 
Meditation is a practice, okay? It's working your brain. It's working, you know, for a lack of a better term, a muscle. Your brain is not a muscle. It's just a big old lump of fat and shit. But uh, electrical connections. But <laughs> but it's working those connections, right? So when you go to the gym for the first time and you lay down on a bench press for the first time, uh, most people are not going to take that bar and slap on, you know, 345s on each side, and go to town as far as bench pressing goes, right? Now, you start light, and you go from there. You build up, you get personal records, so forth and so on. So meditation is the same damn thing. The first time you sit down and do this, it's going to take some practice, okay? You start light. And the whole idea of, of cosplaying that you're a monk, <laughs> and you need to sit on the floor with your legs twisted up and your fingers touching and everything else, if it works for you, great. I have no issues with that. Keep doing it, okay? Uh, but I'm just going to try to, how about this? I'm just going to sit down in a comfortable chair where I'm supported, my back supported. I'm not sitting there trying to worry about, my, oh, fuck, my back hurts now and shit, uh, I'm out of shape and everything else because that's just going to add to it. If I'm uncomfortable, if you're uncomfortable, that's going to just bring in thoughts and it's going to bring in more, more uh, congestion in your brain, right? The whole point of meditation, the whole point of this practice is to build mindfulness. Now, what is mindfulness? Again, being present in the here and now, okay? It is understanding and being aware of the present moment. So, you sit down in a comfortable area where you're comfy and you're not distracted by any of that kind of stuff. And you can close your eyes and then you can you know, put your hand on your belly if that's what you want to do. So, you can have a physical focus of your hand rising uh, and falling with your breath, or you can just sit there comfortably and focus on the one thing that is in this moment, which is your breath coming in and coming out and coming in and coming out. Now, the problem I have with this is, again, I was told I need to clear my mind, and I just can't fucking do that, okay? So what I've learned by watching and, and, and reading a lot of articles about meditation, about meditation practice, modern, especially modern meditation practice, is there's actually a study <laughs> that I want to bring up, actually, before I get into it. There's a study called the Polar Bear Study. I believe it was done by Harvard. And they took individuals and they made them close their eyes for five minutes and they said, I only want you to picture a white polar bear. So in your eye, in your mind's eye, sit here quietly five minutes and picture, just stare at a white polar bear in your mind. And after five minutes, there was, you know, people saw the polar bear, but there was other things going on as well, right? Yes, they were able to see it. Were they able to concentrate on it for five minutes straight? No, they were not. Second session, five minutes, close your eyes. Think of anything else besides a white polar bear. And guess what happened? That fucking white polar bear came into everybody's goddamn mind because <laughs> they were told not to see it. All right. So they already experienced what it was and now they were told not to do it. So when you sit down and you tell yourself you have this regiment of, oh, I am meditating, I cannot think of anything except for my breath, guess what's going to happen? You're going to think about everything because you're telling yourself not to, all right? So what I've learned, one of the things that, that, that this brought me to is a couple of good videos I found online about this, a couple of great TED Talks. Just go, uh, go to YouTube and do mindfulness, and you'll find a bunch of great TED Talks about mindfulness, and then some articles that you can read through and as, as well. 
But this is what meditation is, right? And it's different than what the hell I thought it was. It is to sit comfortably, right? So you're not distracted by being folded up and being uncomfortable. Sit comfortably in a chair, on your couch, whatever the hell it is. does not matter. Wherever you are, as long as you're comfortable. And yes, focus on your breathing, in and out. And what's going to happen, especially at first, because remember, we're still in the training bar here, right? We're still we're still uh, on the bar with no weights because it's our first time doing this. What's going to happen is a thought is going to come into your head. You are not to fight that thought. You are to acknowledge that thought without prejudice and then refocus yourself on your breathing. Say, oh, I had a thought. Great. Let me come back to my breathing in and out. So you acknowledge the thought as it comes in. And now at first, I believe this is going to be like Grand Central Station. Okay, I'm going to have thoughts flying in left and right. And I'm going to acknowledge and say, okay, great. I have a thought. I've acknowledged that thought. Again, I'm not going to think on it. I'm not going to have a prejudice towards that thought in a good way, bad way, or anything. I'm just going to acknowledge that is a thought. Let me refocus on my breathing in, out, okay? Another thought comes in, and again, I'm not going to fight it. I'm going to acknowledge it. Oh, there's another thought. That's great. This is your brain, your subconscious working through shit. That's what is going on. That's what's happening. This is where training comes into play. Eventually, you'll be able to have the muscle matter, the gray matter that's built up from practicing that, yeah, you'll get less and less and less thoughts until eventually you can truly focus on uh, your breathing. 100%. All right. Whether you ever get to there, I don't know. You know, it's going to be a a mastery at that point in time, I would think. I think even some of the the best meditators right now, maybe not some of these monks that do it for like days on a time or something. I don't know. They get into like a trance-like state. But uh, just like an everyday mindful practice of meditation, I think we'll get to the point where you have few thoughts that come in. And again, you acknowledge, oh, that's a thought. No prejudice towards it. Not good, not bad, not anything. And you recenter yourself back on your, okay, I had a thought. Now, not, I need, oh, shit, I had a thought. Let's purge that thought. I need to purge it out of my head. Why can't I get rid of it? Oh, my God, all I'm doing is thinking of that thought, right? That's the difference. That is the big, I think, leap. And we'll see how this happens. I'm going to be doing this this week. I'm going to report back next week. I'm going to try to do this every day. For I'm going to start with 10 minutes, see if I can do 10 minutes. And then we try to boost it up to 20 minutes and get a 20-minute practice in a day. And again, what this is about is bringing mindfulness. Now, how does this create? How does this create a a practice of mindfulness? Okay, because what this is going to do is again, uh, it, it is allowing you to be present in what's happening right now. It's allowing you to be able to handle incoming thought. It's allowing you to recognize without prejudice there's an incoming thought that needs to be dealt with or recentered from so when you're in a conversation and somebody says something that maybe you don't agree with instead of just opening your mouth and letting that thought roll out or more popular today hitting that keyboard with some of the most heinous fucking things that you would never say to somebody else's face but you sure as fuck will type them on social media because it's a faceless type of uh, situation and an almost anonymous situation. Instead of doing that, you'll listen to what they say. You'll realize, oh, I'm having a thought. 
And at that moment, you'll be able to make a decision on that thought. Do I need to reevaluate what was said? Do I need to reevaluate what I am about to say? How am I going to contribute to this argument? How am I going to contribute to this discussion? How am I going to, dis to, to contribute here without just going right for the jugular and saying the most lewd and rude thing you can do? And this is one of my big issues. <laughs> I need to be more mindful. <laughs> no question about it. So that's, you know, that's, it's about being in the now. Um, and, and I tried, you know, I think one of the things that I did, uh, even during the mushrooming, I brought my camera with me. I was going to take some pictures and everything else. And it was more about like, originally I was going to take some pictures of mushrooms for identification purposes. And I did take, I, I took a picture of one mushroom and uh, you'll probably see it as the cover art of this episode. <laughs> uh, it's called the golden Rishi. But I decided that, I wanted to be in the experience. I wanted to have the sights, the sounds, the smells be my priority, be my primary memory-driven uh, function of this experience instead of being behind a camera. And I'm, I'm, you know, even though I have a point-and-shoot camera, I still go to manual mode and I'm one of those guys. It's like, Oh, I got to change my ISO. I got to look at the light meter. I got to do it. I can't just keep it on auto and snap pictures. Typically. It's just not my gig. I don't know why. Cause I'm a gear whore and I need to understand the gear and how to use the gear. So I fall down photography rabbit holes and I'm like, I only shoot on M for manual and I only shoot raw <laughs> as far as file format goes. <laughs> so I can color grade it later <laughs> and I'm not losing any highlights and I'm not losing any shadows. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I, I decided not to be preoccupied. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not, I'm going to throw photography away as a hobby, uh, because I don't want to use that as a tool. No, of course it's enjoyable, but there's, there was an experience there that I wanted to be fully present for and not, uh, miss something. Cause I was worrying about a stupid camera setting. It's like, Oh, you know, now we're in this part of the woods. So there's a shadow here. There's this, that, and the other thing. I didn't want to have to worry about that. So I really did not take many pictures. Like I said, I took uh, one picture, two pictures of this golden Rishi. Uh, one had spores all over it, so it was brown, and one was actually like the golden color. And so very, very cool mushroom. Uh, so uh, so I was in the heat, the present, and I want to be more in that. You know, I, I as much as I, I think photography is great, as much as I think, you know, videography is wonderful and recording things is, is incredible, for being able to go back and look at and stuff like that. I think there's also, you know, do you want your memory based on what you see on that video that you took? Because you have to rewatch it because you were so concerned about the video angle and you were so concerned about getting the shot right and so concerned about that. Or do you want to create a memory from being in the moment and, and experiencing with all your senses and not, you know, diverting part of your attention. So I think there's decisions that need to be made there. I think, yes, you know, and it, I think it's like my great example is my father. My father videotaped a lot of things. He videotaped uh, my football. He videotaped some wrestling matches in high school. He videotaped um, musicals that I was in because I was in the theater club. And instead of just setting up a camera and like videotaping the whole thing, he focused in on me 
and it's like he followed me around and the whole video is and and I look back and I I I think about taking pictures and videos of my kids stuff now and how intense he was focused on making sure I was in the picture through that camera lens that he didn't watch anything live he watched everything through the viewfinder of a camera he watched the entire football game focused on me through the viewfinder if I was out there on the field. And yes, it's great because I have these records for it, but I, I almost feel upset that I feel like he missed out a little bit on the experience of it, where if it would have been just, I'm going to just set up a camera here and take a picture of the whole field or the whole stage or whatever for like a musical presentation or, or a theater thing or something like that, instead of follow, literally following me around on stage, and then you just let that thing roll, and it, if it if it gets cut off, it gets cut off. If you miss a little bit of it, you miss a little bit of it. But you're living it, you're you're in experiencing it. And I would appreciate like I, like I don't want you to think I'm not appreciative of what he did. I think I'm I'm very very appreciative of what he did, no question about it. Because I have great records of some of these things on a a, a deep level, on a personal level of my physical activities. Not trying to oh look, there's me, a little tiny guy. You know, it's like literally zoomed in on me. That sort sort of thing. Um, but I, 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 you know, I feel that he might've sacrificed some of his enjoyment of watching his child out there doing it because he was so focused on that. And it upsets me a little bit. And I, I want to make sure that I don't do that. I want to make sure that, that I'm fully engaged with the present, uh, of those situations and fully engaged with the memory that I'm creating for myself which I know seems it might be futile, you know, it, there might be options or issues down the road where I lose my memories and, you know, as I age and everything else. And, you know, but even if I do that, going back to a videotape may or may not help. I, I don't know, you know, so it's an issue of I, I think I want, again, in a mindful practice. The mindfulness of that would be, again, I'm going to set up a camera, get a wide angle on everything so we can go back and look at it. And then, you know, even later on through editing, I can punch in if I needed to and zoom in and do stuff like that, uh, which, again, some of the older technology, the older cameras that my dad had, didn't, we didn't really edit anything as far as that goes. It was just camcorder stuff. But, uh, but I think for me personally, with the equipment I have and everything, I can do that. And like I said, if I wanted to edit it later and punch it in later, but it's like a set it and forget it. I'm going to set it up, get a get a, a wide angle as much as I can, and then I want to be in the moment and uh, and experience that and burn that memory into my mind in that moment, you know. And, and uh, yeah, I think you know that's part of mindfulness in general. That's part of a decision I'm going to make. So, uh, like I said, I want to try to do a meditative practice. I want to try to meditate. Uh, I am going to start off with just a. I think it's like 10 minutes, just solo breathing. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm not trained or, or haven't really looked into the mantra type stuff yet. Maybe we'll look at that later on. Again, I'm very, very interested in sound bathing meditation. That has been a thing. I don't know if it's just a, because it's a distraction. So I'm, it's easier for me to focus on that sound because it's a distraction opposed to, uh, you know, uh, breath meditation where I'm just breathing and, and focusing on myself. I don't know. There's different options, but I think this week, especially, and I'll report back next week uh, with you guys on how it went. And if I was able to focus on my breath, acknowledge without prejudice or judgment, a thought has come in, 
and then refocus back in, push that out and kind of refocus back in. Not beating myself up saying, why is another thought coming into your head, stupid? You're supposed to be uh, blank in thought. Why did that other thought come in? This is your fault. You did this. You suck at this. And beating myself up in that 20-minute period or 10-minute period. Uh, which is not helpful <laughs> whatsoever. It is anti, <laughs> uh, anti-meditation, I think, in that case. And I think there's so many of us, so many of us that do that, that, uh, <laughs> that it is definitely uh, a turning point when I saw these videos and, and listened to these, these people that are experienced in uh, leading mentorships when it comes to meditation and, and stuff like that. Um, how they're like, no, you're doing it wrong. We're all doing it wrong, <laughs> right? This is what we think we should be doing, and instead it's the complete opposite. So, you know, don't beat yourself up. It, again, especially at the very beginning, you're brand new to this. We're not going in and jumping on and, and looking at setting world records, right? We're, we're looking at building a muscle here from the ground up in a lot of cases. So I think it's going to be a wonderful experience. I will let you guys know next week. We will see how it goes. I appreciate you hanging out with me for about an hour here. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Hopefully it was entertaining. Hopefully I didn't scare you away with my rant earlier about the mycelial spiritual mycelial network or hot milkies. Uh, again, if you guys want to reach out to me, please feel free to do so. You can uh, email me at mikeshappiness at gmail.com. That's mikeshappiness at gmail.com. Or call and leave a voicemail at 678 678- Five zero six zero three nine nine. Again, my name is Mike. This is my podcast about my pursuit to personal happiness. And I want you to get there, spread love, not hate, smile at people that pass you, and make sure that spiritual mycelial network is a happy mycelial network. Have a great rest of your day, and I'll talk to you later.